The family was so beautiful in the video. I don't know if we're going to see a safe families video or a Gap commercial. Man, they're, what a beautiful family. How are you guys doing? You ready to have some fun today? Again, we got some OMG level good news. It's going to be outrageous. And so I want to introduce someone real quick. We've got something special tonight. If I can ask Scott Symington to come up. Tonight we've got a special thing at the Columbus School of Supernatural Ministry. It's open to everybody where we are going to look at when faith and science collide. And so Scott is a specialist. And uh, so Scott, just tell us what can we expect tonight? Who should we, who should come? Oh, yeah. Uh, the main reason behind this is if you think of the accountant Daniel um, and the lion's den, you think, oh, how horrifying. Put yourself in that position. Oh, is it not? <laughs> but there it is. we actually are in a lion's den. Except the intellectual predators that are in our culture, they don't come after you physically. They come after your heart and your mind, and do, they do their damage over the time. Now, God's equipped us to shut these lions down, as Daniel did, but the evidence is showing we're not using it. The majority of the youth in evangelical churches are walking away from the faith shortly after leaving the home. And how many of us feel a lack of confidence in sharing our faith or standing up for it when we need to? So what we're going to be covering today is this. Um, first thing is, we want to give you one thing from science, from the greatest discovery in science, actually, that points directly and only to the biblical God. It's a smooth stone that you can use to anyone who is in our culture. They, they, they like the science answers. But then we're also going to be covering the tough questions. Uh, you, you might have heard Oprah, where she said, well, how can you believe Jesus is the only way? There's all these other different belief systems. Are you that arrogant to think you're right and everyone else is wrong? That's narrow-minded and intolerant. No, it's not. There's a fantastic answer for that. But with that answer and other answers, like why would a loving, almighty God allow pain? We're going to be covering those in the Q&A section. So basically, we're going to give you one smooth stone from science that you can use and have confidence in sharing with our culture and answer some other tough questions. So awesome. Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's going to be good tonight. How I many of you guys realize, I mean, this is a real issue. I mean, these, uh, I mean, the atheists are actually evangelizing now. They're sending people out and actually asking them, you know, hey, prove to me your faith. And, you know, hey, what's, you know, it's just, it's amazing how the atheists are getting very aggressive and evangelizing. And so, you know, we, uh, we want to be able to give an answer for the reason for the hope we have, like First Peter talks about. And so, you got, is, that, is that good? All right, so tonight at 5 p.m., it'll be right here. Everybody's invited. All right, so hey, let me talk about this a little bit. So back in the fall, I felt like the Lord was really telling us to go after healing again. If you remember, we started teaching on healing, and it started breaking out. It started getting more and more. I love all that stuff. And I really felt like at the beginning of this year, the Lord wanted me to just really go after the pure gospel of grace. And uh, it's really, the Bible says this, faith works by love. Faith works easy when you realize how loved you are. And I, this is, this, studying this has really done something for me. I mean, just so you know, kind of behind the scenes, I mean, there's been times where, you know, I'm, I'm reading in the Bible, God's unveiling something to me. It's coming alive, and I would say it, at a level that I've never understood before. And there's times I'm getting down in my, uh, we have like a little soaking room, a little worship room, and there's times I'm on my face crying before the Lord, just, just seeing the goodness of him. There's times I'm cheering out loud. I'm in the family probably thinks, what is going on in that room some of the times? And so it's just... 
it's just become the good, glad, merry news that makes a man want to dance and leap and spin for joy, like they talked about two or 300 years ago. It's that almost too good to be true news. And I've heard this, that uh, I've heard people say this, and I understand where they're coming from. They say, you know, no one should hear the gospel twice when there's people in the world who haven't heard it once. And I understand the, like, their intention, like, you know, America is saturated with the gospel, you know, that there's, you know, we, we need to be intentional about emissions. I agree that, but I disagree that America has been saturated with the gospel. America has been saturated with religion. You know, they've been told, repent or you're going to hell. That's not the gospel. I mean, it's true, but that's not the good news. That's not the good, glad, merry news that makes them want to dance and leap and spin for joy. I love how Paul calls it the gospel of grace. It's the good news of grace. Here's the good news is that God loves you independent of your performance. Let me just translate that a little bit. God loves you regardless of your behavior or your actions. You have to understand this is radical. It's not based on your behavior, not your actions. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. That he's a God who delights in showing mercy. A lot of people picture God's in a bad mood and Jesus stopped the mad mood. Here's what the Bible says. It says, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself. It was his idea. But they've got this picture of religion. That message is not saturated America. A lot of people have been in church their whole lives and they've never heard the gospel of grace. They've heard preachers give the message, God is holy and just. You are unholy. If you do not repent, God's going to judge you. If you don't shape up, you're going to hell. I mean, believers hear this regularly on a weekly basis that if your behavior doesn't improve, God's going to just, you know, guys, they haven't heard the message that God loves you. And not only is he extending forgiveness to you, but he wants to make you righteous. He's inviting you into a realm where he's not dealing with you based on your actions. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' actions. And now he delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. He's united you to his dear son, and now he delights to treat you as if you're Jesus himself, where you can experience his unconditional love on full blast, 24-7, regardless of your condition or your behavior. Jesus got what you deserve, so you could get what he deserved. Everything that comes to you as a result of salvation, forgiveness of sin, righteousness, saved, healed, delivered, prospered, protected, it all comes to you by grace through faith which means there's nothing I have to do. Grace has provided it all, and all I have to do is to believe to receive. Guys, there's not a lot of people who have heard that. They think they have to, got to prime the pump. they got to do something to get God's attention. And, oh, man, I haven't been praying this week. I had a lustful thought. I exaggerated. I, you know, I lied at work. You know. So now they're giving all these reasons. Why, guys, God is not dealing with you based on that. Are you guys getting this level of news here? The only thing you must do to access this amazing grace is to put your faith in what God has done in, in Jesus Christ. He has completely paid for everything. There's nothing you can do to add to it. We can just rest in that complete work. Listen, it's sad to say most people have never heard this, let alone understood the true gospel. And it's still, it's still changing my life. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation means saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. And so here's the interesting thing. Paul presented the gospel in such a way, the first five chapters of Romans, that this question comes up three times. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Okay? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Three times it comes up. I want you to get this. When Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, presents a balanced view of the gospel of grace, people's natural reaction is, what are you just saying? Our behavior doesn't matter at all? We can just go on sinning? Do you guys see how scandalous this is? I actually did not want to preach this message yet. Remember last week I told you, we, you know, we're going to teach you how to renew your mind so that you can reprogram the computers, you can live the life of the new covenant. But I've been waiting for this opportunity for people to begin to ask, 
well, hold on, Jim, this new covenant thing you keep talking about, it just sounds like sin's no big deal. I've been waiting for people to start asking that because that means you're starting to understand it. If you're not listening to the gospel and going, what, my behavior doesn't even matter, so I can just go on sinning, you're not understanding the scandal of the gospel. You guys understand that. If you're just sitting there going, oh, yeah, God's dealing with me, so my farm, this is cool. If you're not, if that's not, you're not getting it. It's so scandalous that your response would be, hold on. Hold on. So, Paul, let me see if you got this thing straight. Once I'm born again, my sin isn't the issue. It's not separating me from God. My behavior and my performance has no bearing on my right standing with him. All I must do to access God's grace and goodness and power in my life is place my faith, confidence, trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Are you saying I don't have to fast and pray and memorize and study and seek and hunger and hunger? And Are you just saying I can just go live in sin? Listen, if Paul's presenting the gospel properly, and he had to repeatedly deal with this, if we properly present the gospel, people are going to accuse us of going, hold on, you're just saying you can just live in sin? Guys, you have to understand, we're going to deal with the sin issue here in a second. The only way out of sin is to receive the grace of God. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. It's not trying to get out of sin in your own willpower. That's called the law. That's called dead works. You've cut yourself off from grace, and now you're on your own strength. Good luck with that. Well, I don't know, Jim, there's that greasy grace. There's that hyper grace. All grace is hyper. In Romans 6, he uses hooper, charis, hyper grace. Paul himself said grace is hyper. There's a perverted grace that says, ah, you can just live in sin, no big deal. Um, That's perverted grace. It's interesting. Paul says to the Galatians, oh, Galatians, who's bewitched you? You perverted the gospel of grace. It's interesting. They perverted the gospel of grace by saying Jesus wasn't enough. You had to do something else. Today, people are saying the gospel of grace is a perversion. Oh, you got to be careful with that grace message. Oh, you got to be careful. Guys, the grace message is the only thing that will help you step out of sin and help you experience God's goodness. You show in your hunger pains and starving yourself. Guys, fasting becomes wisdom when you see what's available so you can narrow your focus so that you can believe better. It doesn't impress God. You memorizing scriptures and you debating people on Facebook, God's not impressed with it. The reason to read the Bible is so I can get a picture of what my inheritance is. I can see Jesus more clearly. The spirit of feisty might be trying to come on me. (laughs) Hunger is a good thing in the kingdom. The way you get hunger is by eating more of him, not by, oh my gosh, I got to be hungry. I'm not hungry enough. I've seen people like, imagine if like every time my wife like left the room, I'm like, I can't feel her presence. I can't see her. She's left me. I think I think her marriage is falling. Oh, she's back again. That's schizophrenic, charismatic Christianity. I can't feel him. What do I got to do to get him back in the room? He said, I never leave you nor forsake you. Get out of your doubt and unbelief. Settle down into rest. And quit living by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Begin to live by promise. You begin to experience the promise. Everyone walking around worried about whether they're hungry enough. That's called unbelief. Just enjoy him and the hunger will return. An anorexic has lost their appetite. They need to force feed themselves so they can get the appetite working again. If you starve yourself from God, don't try to make yourself hungry. Just chew. <laughs> just listen to, listen to the good news of Jesus. Just, listen, just settle down long enough and just think about him. Receive that grace, and you'll step out of that bad behavior.
So I've been waiting for you guys to get to this point, and finally some people are saying, well, hold on. You're going a little too far. Yes, finally, you've heard it. Now we can deal with sin. <laughs> Listen, if that question never comes up, we have not communicated the grace of God. I'll tell you what, growing up, there was never one time I wondered after hearing a preacher, can I just go live in sin? That never crossed my mind. The way the Bible was presented, I was continually made aware of my sin, of what a worthless worm I was. And, you know, I'm sorry, guys. I know God used the, uh, you know, the sinners in the hands of an angry God message. You're just a spider dangling over a flame, hanging by a thread. He's ready to cut it. That is not the good news. He talked through it. I mean, I like... I sat through message week after week growing up. If you sin, you are separated from God. He can't use you. He's not going to hear your prayers. His wrath is being stored up against you. You need to repent so he will relent. Did anyone else grow up under this? I was under so much condemnation from sinning every single week and under such sin consciousness that I never took them. I never thought, oh, we can just go live in sin however we want. It was the exact opposite. It was, oh my gosh, I've got to improve myself. I've got to do these things. Get this point. Paul presented the gospel in such a way that he was misunderstood. If you're not coming close to misunderstanding the goodness of God, it's better than you think. So let's look at it again. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Some translations say, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I want to answer this question today. Listen, if God's not judging for my, me for my sin, why live holy? So let's answer that question. Paul, when he says, by no means or God forbids, he was using the strongest renunciation available in the Greek language without using profanity. It was so strong. It's like, read my lips. No, absolutely not. May you never think that stupid way again. It's that strong. So I want to spend the rest of our time answering this question, why live holy? If our sin isn't stopping God from moving in our lives, and it's not our holiness that earns his blessing, boy, guys, this teaching is out there like crazy. You're saved by grace, but if you're going to get God to move in your life, it's your holiness. Guys, holiness is a byproduct of believing right things. If you believe right, you will live right. If you see his goodness, if you understand his grace, it will come into your life and you'll live more holy on accident than you ever could on purpose. Your holiness is a byproduct of seeing him and receiving grace. It's not, if I'm holy, then I'll receive grace and God will use me. If my sin isn't stopping God from moving in my life, I don't know if you guys are hearing this. Sin is not stopping God from moving in your life. Unbelief is. Sin, holiness, does not earn his blessing. God's not up there looking for someone to reward based on their good behavior. That was the old covenant. He's looking to reward someone who believes in Jesus' behavior. I'm just going to keep pausing and let the offense set in. I hate to preach this second part if you're not understanding the first part. Go back and listen to every message since January. 
Remember, forgiven forever. God has forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. You're walking under a waterfall of forgiveness nonstop. And you experience the waterfall when you confess and repent. He's not holding back his wrath until you ask for it. You're walking under a cloud of blessing, the blessing of Abraham. He's out there blowing it. He's lying. He's doing things God didn't tell him to do. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is a realm where God's not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on his heart. Remember, we looked at the old covenant. I mean, God said, I'll bless you if you keep all the law 100%, which is impossible. And what did God do? He continued to bless them throughout the Old Testament. Why? Because they were offering sacrifices for sin. And when God saw that sacrifice, it reminded him, my son's coming. So I'm going to begin to treat them now how I'm going to treat them later. And he began to bless sinful Israel. And they walked in divine health in the desert. Sinful Israel began to bless these kings. But when the kings would turn their hearts to idolatry and stop offering sacrifices, judgment came down. Guess what, guys? It says now Jesus offered the sacrifice for sin once and for all. So God looks at his son, blessing, blessing, blessing. You don't have to keep offering these sin offerings and these repentance offerings and these confession offerings. You're forgiven. The weight of salvation and God dealing with you is not on your shoulders. It was placed on Jesus' shoulders. Okay, so go back and listen to all the messages from this year. If our holiness isn't what gains us favor with God, then why bother? That's what I want to answer today. Verse 2 begins to say, get at it. How can we who die to sin live in it any longer? So the first reason, it goes basically from verse 2 all the way to verse 15. And we spent all of last week on this. We saw that you died to sin. Uh, Your nature has been changed. You're no longer a sinner by nature. That guy who was a sinner by nature, that gal who was a sinner by nature, they died with Christ. You were in, in baptism, it was like a watery grave. That person was drowned, dead. And then you were raised to a new person that's united with Christ. Remember, I put the pen in the notebook. You are in Christ. Everything that happens to this notebook happens to this pen. Everything that happened to Christ happens to you. There was a mystical union between you and Christ. Well, Jim, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Oh, bless you. You were an old sinner. That was your nature. You were born with a sin nature, but you've been saved by grace, and you're now dead to sin. You no longer have sin in your nature. You do not have two natures living inside of you, fighting for control. And when I meditate on scriptures, the good dog rises up. And when I don't meditate on scriptures and I watch, you know, whatever, I don't know, how many think of a bad show? A bad show. And, you know, then I feed that, feed that thing. And then, uh, you know, then the, then the black dog gets bigger. And it's, you know, and the, the, the evil dog. And so, listen, we spent a whole week on this. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm just reminding you of it so we can move on to the next point. But sin is unnatural for the Christian. It's like a live man wanting to hang out in graveyards and snuggle with coffins. You're like, what are you doing? Like, graveyards and coffins are for the dead, not for the living. Remember I said there's been a zombie apocalypse in the church. They're continually hanging around dead men, trying to get resurrect them. It's like a two-year-old trying to crawl back into the womb. It's like a released hostage hanging out on weekends at the prison where he was tortured. It's like a patient who had successful knee surgery refusing to ever try to walk again. It's unnatural. It's inappropriate. Because we've been united with Christ in his his resurrection, Jesus invites us to live in that reality. So you have a brand new nature, but here's the deal. Your mind is like a computer. 
and your computer is going to run based on whatever programming it has. And here's the thing, your spirit got born again, and the way you access all the goodness that happened in your new creation, your, your born-again spirit, is through the renewing of your mind. You've got to reprogram the computer. So we began to touch on that last week. I'm going to do a whole thing on it, on, on it next time, okay? So the first reason to live holy is you've got a new nature. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't need to go back to the concentration camp anymore. Why would you want to do a, a weekend pass at the concentration camp where they used to beat you? Like, that's sin. You were in slavery. You had no other choice but that life. You don't need to do that anymore. Okay? That's reason number one. Kind of hit it last week. We're going to dive deep into it. But here's what I want to get at. Uh, reason number two. Um, before, as we're getting into reason number two, I want to just kind of walk into what Jesus says about sin. We're looking at why to live holy. I want you to get this. How many books of the Bible are there? Or how many books of the New Testament are there? 27. Okay. Apparently... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the charismatic churches didn't have Sunday school, and so we didn't learn anything. So. 27 books in the uh, New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament, easy way to remember it, three times nine is, there you go, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 altogether. It's because I always trick you. Yeah, it's like those dogs where the guy just goes, and yeah, so yeah, I get it. I get it. Yes. So thank you. And I... And, so, Mary, if I say something opposite, I guess I said something last week, the, the exact opposite. I said something like, you guys are covered in sin. And I was trying to make the opposite point, but I switched my words. So uh, hopefully at the rest of the message, you're able to figure out, like, I didn't really mean that. Like, it's like one of those things where Satan is God. Like, no, that's not what I meant, you know. So if I make one of those stupid statements, which I do about once a month, you know, I say the opposite of what I'm trying to say. Just, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to work it out there and... Um, Mary said her and Sean were like, should we tell him? And Sean's like, he's in a flow. And I'm like, rah, 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 you know, so. <laughs> so, so we come up with some type of signal, like, like this. You know, that, that, that'd be something subtle like that, just between you and me. I want you to get this. 27 books in the New Testament. Any guesses how many books in the New Testament warn believers against sin and have a call to holiness? Any guesses out of 27? 27! Isn't that interesting? If sin's no big deal, if it's no problem, why on earth is it warning us? Listen to what Jesus says about it in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Not oh, Jesus. Come on here. Like, uh, <laughs> did you really need to exaggerate like this here? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I'm just, he's just giving... A, He's pulling back the veil and showing us really how bad sin is. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole picture to go in hell. If we could pull up the picture of Aaron, uh, Aaron Ralston up there. We can get this up here. There he is, Aaron Ralston. Um, let me tell you about Aaron Ralston. If you notice, he's got a hook on his hand. While Aaron Ralston was on a can uh, can canoeing nearing trip, whatever that means, in Blue John Canyon... A boulder dislodged, crushing his right forearm and pinning it against the canyon wall. Ralston had not told anyone of his hiking plans and knew no one would be searching for him. Assuming that he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping his small amount of remaining water while trying to extricate his arm. He eventually ran out of water and began to drink his own urine. We could stop the story there, but it gets worse. After five days of trying to lift and break the boulder, Ralston prepared to cut off his already dead arm by leveraging it against a chalk stone, which snapped the radius in the ulna bones. Using the dull blade on his multi-use tool, he cut the soft tissue around the break, 
He then used the pliers to tear at the tougher tendons. After freeing himself, he had to rappel down a 65-foot sheer wall, then hike out of the canyon. While hiking out, he encountered a family on vacation who alerted the authorities. He was ultimately rescued by a helicopter search team. Now, I know what you Zioners are thinking. Let's just pray for his arm to grow back. I like where you're going with this. I really do, but that's not the point of this illustration. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Why the strong language, Jesus? What's he trying to get across? I think uh, most of us, we agree that avoiding sin is important. But is it really that level of importance? I mean, uh, why does Jesus feel so necessary to paint horrible word pictures when he's talking about sin? Well, Jim, uh, Jesus wasn't telling us to hack off a body part. He was using an ancient rabbinical rhetorical technique called hyperbole, where they make an conscious exaggeration to make a point. Yeah, I know that already, but here's the point. What was his point? We don't downplay the imagery. Oh, he didn't really mean that. Why is he, what's his point? He was making one strong message. Sin is way more serious than you ever thought. Like I said, most of us here, we think avoiding sins is important, but is it really that important? I believe the enemy has deceived the church into thinking that sin really isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, there's warnings all over the place, but you know, how bad is this thing? So here's the dilemma. Either plucking out your eyeball isn't that bad, or sin's way worse than we thought. It has to be one or the other. I don't know about you, but like sawing into the hand like I, I like when i get a paper cut i want my wife to write a song about it like, like it's such a traumatic thing i'm like nobody knows you know it's just like like I'm, I'm just like done so like cutting through like the skin and the soft tissue and the muscles and the tendons and hacking through the bone and the marrow and then doing the same thing out the other like stop me if i'm overestimating how bad it would be to cut off your hand If you like your eyeballs, you should be bothered by these verses. And given what Jesus says about sin, I must either have way too high a value for my eyeballs or way too high a value for sin in my life. We have to consider that you and I, we may be believing lies about sin. So here's the second reason. So the first reason is our nature's change, but here's the one I want to kind of just, just, I'm I'm almost done actually, but the the point's going to be simple. Um, the second reason to live holy is living holy will stop Satan's inroad into your life. Listen to Romans 6.16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Listen, if you are living in sin... You're opening the door for a spiritual being named Satan to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. You have to understand that. Even though God isn't going to bring judgment upon your life because he placed all the judgment upon Jesus, even if God isn't punishing you for your sin, Satan is going to punish you for your sin. You can bring dishonor to your name. You can bring dishonor to God's name. There was a preacher back in the 80s who was seen by more people on planet Earth. He had the the biggest television show. His ministry was bringing in $8 million a month back in the 80s, back when that was a lot of money back then, right? And so um, and uh, he ends up having sex with a prostitute and loses it all. He became a laughingstock. They're doing Saturday Night Live skits about him. Uh, He's still in ministry today, but it's nothing like before. Listen, God still loves this man. 
Romans 11, 29 says that God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. Listen, God didn't take away this man's gifts and calling because he blew it. God still loves him. He still has a sin nature. I mean, still has, I'm sorry, that's one of those opposite things. He, he still has a new nature. She was on it. Did you see that? She's like, just say something wrong. Just say something wrong. She's doing calisthenics down there? Man. It's so stinky when you're in the middle of like a serious story and you say something ridiculous. Not the first time. Not the first time today, I don't even think. All right. Listen, God did not take away this man's gifts and calling. All the people, oh, God's going to withdraw the anointing. He's going to withdraw this. Um, God still loves him. He still has a new nature. He's still righteous. But he has lost a lot because he yielded himself to sin. Guys, just because it's not going to affect my relationship with God, ultimately, I don't want to be one of those casualties. I don't want Satan to, in the words of Andrew Womack, eat my lunch and pop my bag. We live in a fallen world. Here's 1 Peter 5 it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan just doesn't devour everybody because he can't. He needs your uh, cooperation and your permission to come into your life and to begin to devour. And you give him that permission by opening the door through sin. Guys, there's consequences with sin. Let me put it this way. Sin does not change my relationship with God. Sin changes my relationship with the devil. I'm going to say it again in case you think I was kidding. Sin does not change my relationship with God. Sin changes my relationship with the devil. Every time that you and I willingly say yes to sin, we are submitting to Satan, the author of that sin, and we place ourselves under his influence. This doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but it does mean that we've opened up the door to a spiritual influence in our life whose job description is still kill and destroy. Sin does not change the way God feels about me, but it does change the way that I feel about God. When you sin, you become a slave to sin. I've got some good news to get out of this, but I want to paint the picture here. When we obey sins, we yield ourselves to Satan, the author of that sin. When you're yielding yourself to sin, you're yielding yourself to a person named Satan. You're coming under the governance of a kingdom that you were not meant to live in. Sin releases the power of Satan into your life. No wonder Jesus said it's better to gnaw off your hand and pluck out your eyeballs than to go under that mess. When a man chooses to actively lust or to indulge in pornography, he's not just gratifying his desires. That's just a man being a man. He's choosing to have his hands bound so tightly that he can't be free anymore. When a woman makes the choice to flirt with someone else's husband, she's not choosing to feel wanted or acceptance. She's losing control of her life. Get this picture. Whenever you're tempted, about, whenever you're tempted to sin, you're literally sitting there with shackles, contemplating whether or not to cuff yourself. How are we doing? I love how Bill Johnson says this. He says, um, compromise is the welcome mat for deception. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin hardens your heart so hard that you open yourself up to deception. Uh, Ephesians 4 says that when we sin, we give the devil a foothold. So I want you to see this. Uh, this is a closing illustration. Wow, we're doing pretty good. 
So, you like, you would never, like, allow a cobra to live in your house, right? Like, if there was, like, a rattlesnake in your house, you'd never be like, you know what? It's no big deal. You know, you say, whatever God's will is, you know, we'll just kind of... <laughs> like, I remember we had, like, a giant earthworm, and I thought about moving. I'm like, you know what? Like, I can't live like this. And so my dad, he had this... I've told this story before, but this is just an awesome story. My dad, uh, when we lived in Kentucky, he had a secretary... This lady was tough stuff. Like, they make them, I don't know if they make them different in Kentucky or if this lady was just a, just a different breed here. But her husband had gone away, and she's alone in the house with the dog, and the dog is barking up a storm and won't stop. You know, shut up, shut up. And she gets up in the room, and there's a rattlesnake in the closet. Again, if that's me, uh, put the for sale sign out, drive off, buy a new wardrobe, never come back. Like, that's, that's how the bakers, that's how we deal with these things. Rattlesnake in the closet, and so, uh, but not this lady. Um, she's got a whole different way of dealing with it. So she had never shot a gun before, but she knew that her husband had a shotgun. So she goes, gets the shotgun, gets a box of shells, and goes outside to practice. <laughs> she sets up a number of books, sets up some cans, gets the shotgun, gets so she can shoot it, and she's like, okay, I'm ready to go. She goes back in, rattlesnake is not in the closet. Again, for sale sign, drive out, have at it, turn into a snake aquarium, I don't care, like I'm not coming back. So they're hunting around and finally, you know, finally the dog corners it and it's in, it's in the corner of the bedroom this time. So uh, she sets up some books, loads up the shotgun shells, but as she's doing it, the snake is lunging at her. Again, for sale sign, you know, that, not this lady. She goes in the kitchen and gets a giant frying pan. So here she is, she's trying to set up the gun, and it's lunging at her, fa-ting! She, she's blocking the lunge with the frying pan. Setting it up again, pating, pating. First shot, misses, blows a hole in the wall. Second shot, misses, blows a hole in the floor. Third shot, hits the snake, dead. And she's here today. Would you stand? No, she's not. No. <laughs> Here's the deal, gang. Some of you have snakes in your spiritual bedroom, and it's time to shoot them. You're not going to put up with this thing trying to destroy your life. I've got some super good news for you. Maybe you might be sitting here, Jim, I've been in sin. It's getting out of control. I've tried to stop, and I can't stop. That's called addiction. I want to stop, and I can't stop. I've got some super good news for you. Jesus provided the answer for that on the cross. Listen, I know, okay, I do not want to get letters. I don't want this. I know the 12-step program has done some good, and I'm super thankful for anything that does good. But one thing they do is say, I'm Jim, I'm an alcoholic. I understand that they're, they're recognizing, and based on my past and my natural strength, I'm one drink away from becoming an addict all over again. But until you see yourself different on the inside, I used to be an alcoholic, but now I'm a new creation living from a different strength. Remember, it doesn't go temptation, sin, temptation, sin. There's something in between that. And when we lose it is when we say, I've got this. When we go in self-righteousness and that self-strength and we go, I've got this thing. The, listen, if you're able to overcome temptation in your, willpower, in your own willpower, you've already flunked the test. 
You're not supposed to do it in your own power. It's, I recognize when, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. So temptation comes, I'm not going to go, oh, I don't want to sin, I'm not going to look at that girl, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to exaggerate, I'm not going to gossip. It's not, it's not, you're not trying not to do it. You say, you just give up. God, I can't do this, I need your strength. You don't go answer the door to temptation, you send Jesus to answer the door to temptation. God, I'm not able to handle this on my own strength, I need you. And I thank you that I'm a new creation, that my mind is being reprogrammed. God, give me your grace. Here's a really good thing um, to help with temptation. Flee! Run! Joseph's got, I mean, you know, the, the head of the guards, you know, he probably had a beautiful wife. You know, a lot of those guys had like a whole harem. She, she was probably gorgeous, and she's trying to hit on Joseph. And Joseph wasn't like, oh, let me see if I can resist this temptation. How close can I get? He runs! Here's what Paul told Timothy. Flee youthful lusts. If some woman or some man who's not your husband is flirting with you, get out of there. You can witness to them later through email, copied to your spouse. <laughs> Guys, don't set yourself up for failure. I mean, there's just some simple things like um, if you're married, don't eat alone with a person who's not your wife or your spouse of the opposite sex. Don't ride in the car with them. Don't email them without copying your husband or your wife or, or their wife. Be careful how you hug. Be careful how you compliment. Don't cross into the creepy zone. You know what crosses into the creepy zone? When you're creepy on the inside. <laughs> to the pure, all things are pure. That's why you've got Georgie Banoff walking around kissing everybody, and no one's offended because he's got a pure heart. So you don't got to be all careful and all this stuff, but it's on the inside job. So if you have to, Flee. If you're at a party and they're pulling out marijuana and you're struggling to do it, get out of there! And don't start telling me, oh, it's just natural plant. Well, so is poison ivy. Why don't you smoke that and see what happens, all right? <laughs> Back to the notes. I don't have this up on the screen, but I want to give you this promise from uh, verse 11, 611. Sin shall not be your master. I'm just prophesying. I don't care how long you've been struggling with this stupid thing. I don't care if you've been looking at pornography since you were age eight. Here's a little simple remedy for that. Treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. You can reprogram your mind. I remember I was sitting in a restaurant with a guy. He was a new believer. It was, at, it was when we were in pastoring in, um, in North Carolina. And I'm sitting with this guy, and his eyes are kind of darting around, and so I'm just talking to him, and he's like, how are you doing it? I'm like, doing what? And he's like, there's a gorgeous girl there, there, and there. And he says, I'm trying not to look at them. And he's like, it seems like you're not even trying not to look at them. I'm like, I'm not. I didn't, I didn't even notice these girls. He said, how are you able to do that? I'm like, I'm not thinking about that stuff. Like, you know, you treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. It takes the sexiness out of it if you do that. You're reprogramming your mind. I'm a one-woman man. I, if those thoughts try to come, listen, just because a bird's circling around your head doesn't mean you have to let it build a nest in your hair. 
It's not, it's not sin to, be, to look at someone and go, boy, they're attractive. But if you begin to undress them with your eyes, it says looking at a woman with lustful intent. There's a difference between noticing, oh, she's pretty, and, uh, and then looking for someone who's pretty. Looking to get that. You know, they, oh, it's not the first glance, it's the second glance. No, it's the first glance with intent. And I've got good news for you. You can reprogram your mind. The scripture says sin will not be your master. That's either religious gas or it's a promise that you can live on. And so if you are struggling with sin, here's what the Bible says. If you will confess your sin. I'm not talking about you're confessing it one to another. We're not going to do that. We're not going to have some stand-up thing. I remember one time. Oh, gosh. Did the, we were doing the young adults. We were, uh, we were over the young adults in Winston-Salem. And this girl stands up. Cover your kids' ears for this one. She, she's like... I was having sex with this guy last night, and uh, is it wrong if you don't love him? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like you know, shh, you know. So we're not going to stand up and confess things here. Here's what confessing is. It means I'm coming into agreement with what God says. Confession of sin is not for God, it's for me. Remember, God has already forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. Okay, he's not up there with his wrath stored up, and if you'll come and grovel, then he'll release the forgiveness Here's what Acts 3.19 says. It says, repent so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Remember, he's already placed all of it. For God to punish you for your sins, he's going to have to forget about what he did to Jesus. He's not going to do that. Okay? I love Romans uh, 5.8. I think it says, I think it's 5.8. You will never experience the wrath of God. You have to understand, he's already got his arms open wide. And when you turn around, you stop and you confess. There's, in, the, in the confession, there's a grace to renounce that thing. It's not just, oh, I did this, this, and this, you know. Forgive me. In the confession, there's actually a power to get out of that thing. There's a power in that renunciation that comes, that God says he'll forgive you of all sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, any of that yuckiness. And so it's, when I confess, confession is like communion. It helps me take hold of what's already there. It helps me experience the hug of God that's always been there, those times are refreshing. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Helps me to stop believing those lies. I come back into agreement with what God says. And so if you were here today and you are wrestling with sin, maybe right now, maybe when you get home, maybe as we're getting ready to take communion here in a little bit. But I love what Jesus said in communion. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say do this in remembrance of your sin. One thing that's so powerful about communion is I get to look and see all over again all that he did for me. That he made a blood covenant. I know we call it the Old Testament, but you could call it the Old Blood Covenant and the New Blood Covenant. He made a blood covenant that I am so devoted to you that if, if I break my covenant with you, that I will cease to exist. That, I, that God himself would die. He would, he's making such an irrevocable agreement to get in our heads that I am so committed to you, I love you, I want to bless you. All you have to do is believe it. So if you are here and you are wrestling with sin, I've got some good news for you. He paid for that one too. There may be some time of reprogramming your mind, but you at least have to have a vision that I can be free. And it's not based on your willpower. It's, not, it's, it's you coming to see, we're going to hit it next time, about reprogramming your mind that I really am new. These things are available. I'm, not walking, I'm walking under a waterfall of forgiveness, not under this waterfall of shame. And so uh, let's just take a moment to pray here before we do communion. And again, I'm not, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not having anybody raise their hands. But if you're here... And you're like, God, I need to confess some stuff. I need to come into agreement with what you said. Sin opens the door to the devil. And guys, you have to, when you confess that sin, it closes the door to the devil. 
Well, Jim, it has to be harder than that. No, he paid for that too. And so if you're here and you're wrestling with something, you're like, I'm tired of wrestling with this thing. Holy Spirit, I confess it to you. I'm coming into agreement. This is destroying my life. It may not got to that destruction phase yet, but it's like, I don't, wanna, I, don't want the, I don't want that cobra in the room. I don't want that rattlesnake in the bedroom. I'm done with this thing. I'm shutting the door. God, I need your strength. Some of you, it's, it's been a comfort thing for you. You've done it your whole life. It's a stress reliever. And just before God, just the best you can, God, help me to want to want to change. <laughs> it says that he wills and acts in you according to purpose. It means he gives you the desire and the ability. So some of you, you don't even want to let go of that thing because you've known it so long. Holy Spirit, right now, change my desire. Help me to want to want to change. And so some of you just right now, just take some time with God and confess that sin. Come into agreement. God, this is wrong, but you paid for it too. I thank you that that sacrifice is offered once for all, and when you see that, you remember Jesus and you desire to bless me. Lord, I thank you for the good news of grace that you're not dealing with me based on my behavior, based on my sin. You're dealing with me based on Jesus' behavior. Let that good news wash over you. Lord, I thank you that every believer in here has been made righteous, which means they've entered into a realm (laughs) where you treat them as if they were Jesus himself. Thank you, Lord. Again, just take another, uh, another few moments here and just confess, which means come into agreement with them. But you need to receive that grace You're not trying to show him how sorry you are. You're believing that what he did is enough. Hey, as we get ready to take communion, is there anybody in here you do not know Jesus? Maybe you've never, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've been water baptized as an infant, but you've never heard the good news or maybe never trusted in the good news that, you know what, Jesus got what I deserve so I can get what he deserved. And you're here and you're like, I want to put my trust in that. I want to learn how to have as much of Jesus in my life as possible. I want to trust Jesus. I'm not going to just believe facts about him. I'm trusting him with my whole life, my personal life, my relationships, my finances. Like, God, come show me how to live this amazing life that you have for me. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you've not trusted him, but you're like, hey, I want that today. I was asking to be bold. And Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, but you're like, hey, I want that today, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. You could just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here you do not know Jesus? All right, we had someone last week that uh, didn't respond, but they came forward and uh, prayed with our prayer team. Our prayer teams would love to pray with you. We'd love to help you take some next steps. But if we could stand up, if we could have the people who are helping with communion, whoever's going to do that, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and... Um, so yeah, just come down and get it, and we can just kind of stay down front. So after you get it, kind of move to the back of this river section, and we'll just kind of stay down here, and we'll take it together. If you hold it, we'll take it all at the same time. Do we have any communion music? Whatever that means. And as you're coming down, be excited that we're celebrating what Jesus has done. That you're actually going to be uh, the same way that you... It's going to be good. So just... So come on and get it. Is there, is there a table in the mid, midsection there? Okay, so yeah, here, they got one in the midsection. So Heather, Heather and Tien. So if you, uh, you guys can go there or you can come up front.
Could we get a little traveling music? All right, awesome. <laughs>